So tonight, speaking on the seven factors of awakening, seven treasures. And I'd like to begin with a story of what I think of as the entertainers of the animal world of Spirit Rock, the turkeys. So about four years ago, I was walking in the downstairs hall, and the turkey came along, pecking on the ground, suddenly looked up, saw a strange turkey, its own reflection in the glass door. Full attack onto the glass. <laughs> Turned around, started pecking on the ground, suddenly looked up, <laughs> startled, saw a strange turkey, attacked once again. And a third time this happened. So it's a little bit like the habitual patterns of our minds. But we have this precious human birth. We have this practice of mindfulness to untangle the knots. And as uh, John said last night, we untangle by recognizing. Opening to things as they are, to the Dharma, to the truth. And the heart can be freed from confusion, from all confusion. Peace is possible in any moment. So our mindfulness practice supports these seven factors of awakening, which have the power to transform and bring an end to suffering, or discretionary suffering, as Winnie has labeled it. And the seven factors are mindfulness, investigation of the truth, investigation of the way things are, energy, joy or rapture, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And these are arising in our practice. These are arising every day. So a very simple example is from a phone call I made to my partner, now my husband. Um, made the call a couple nights ago. And he is doing work in the garden and has planted daffodils for the first year and loves the daffodils. Not much sun in the garden, so they're not real tall, but nice daffodils. And he said, if I'm really mindful, I can smell the daffodils. Very sweet. And Bernard is very detail-oriented. His mind really focuses on the precise details. So when he said, very mindful, I almost thought it was a setup question. So I said, well, just how mindful? <laughs> he said, well, I did have to get down onto one knee to smell, smell the flower, to put my nose into the flower. And on getting down on one knee, he discovered that the violets had an even more fragrant and sweeter smell. So he got even closer to the ground. So in that little story, there's mindfulness. There's investigation. Going in, looking into more detail. There's the energy to look further, to look at not only the daffodils, to smell the scent of the daffodils, but also to investigate the scent of the violets. And then joy arose in the pleasure of seeing how sweet those scents were. 
Uh, there are some daffodils between Meta and Karuna buildings, and they're very sweet fragrance. So these factors are immediate. I've seen them in interviews and in your descriptions of your practice. So the seven factors of awakening are supported by the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness. And with the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness, the hindrances subside. With the subsiding of the hindrances, then investigation, investigation into the moment-to-moment experience arises. It's more precise mindfulness, curiosity. And this generates energy and resolve for the moment-to-moment mindfulness leading to joy, a rapture, further leading to tranquility, and turning to a strengthening and unification and concentration, providing a strong foundation for equanimity and the deepest realizations. As I said, these are sometimes called treasures. They're to be cultivated and brought into balance. And they're innate. They're innate factors. So the factors are not something created or attained. They're simply to be recognized. It's like taking the time to smell the flowers. So appreciating when the when these factors are present, knowing when the when any one of these factors are present or when not present. They function to purify the heart-mind and reframe our understanding to be at peace with whatever is arising. So these seven factors support the path of transcendent dependent origination that John spoke about so beautifully last night. Again, the seven factors arise in awareness with the subsiding of the hindrances. So there's this direct correlation to the hindrances of greed, aversion, sloth, torpor, restlessness, and doubt. You could think of, in a way, these seven factors filling in behind the hindrances, replacing the hindrances in awareness. And the seven factors can really propel the practice. They can carry the practice. Seven treasures. The seven things is a lot to remember, so let me restate it in three categories of three. And this is very useful in understanding in terms of balancing of the factors. Three categories, mindfulness on its own, and then the energizing factors of investigation, energy, and joy. And then the calming factors of tranquility, concentration, equanimity. So you may see immediately how the energy factors can act to balance the calm. 
or calm can balance too much energy. So sometimes in practice there is too much energy and simply uh, to be, to bring awareness to that and cultivate and know the tools to use in cultivating the factors of calm, of tranquility, or using concentration and having a familiarity with the tools to use to increase concentration that acts to calm and balance the energy. Or sometimes there can be too much calm. Can Practice can feel flat or dull, and then there's a need to arouse the perhaps the investigation factor to look more closely at the experience to see where there may be attachment or identification. Again, these are not to be, again, these are not to be figured out, but we're to trust the heart's wisdom, trust the heart's wisdom in working with these seven factors. The seven factors are treasures that lead to awakening, to liberation. The Buddha said, I say that true knowledge and liberation have a nutriment. They are not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment for true knowledge and liberation? It should be said, the seven factors of enlightenment or awakening are that nutriment. We can see the tremendous importance the Buddha placed on these seven factors. The Buddha places great emphasis on knowing when the factors are present and when they're not present. to, To note, to know when the investigation factor is present or when the tranquility or joy factors are present. To know that, to appreciate it fully and to know when they're not present. And then to know what actions are skillful or unskillful toward the cultivation, toward the inclination toward those factors of awakening. So there is a sequencing, as as I walked through those earlier, there's a natural sequencing from one factor to another as mindfulness develops, then curiosity arises curiosity into the nature of the way things are. That arises further energy to see more clearly into the way things are, leading to joy or rapture, into tranquility and deepening concentration into the much-loved equanimity. The first factor, mindfulness, and Pali Sati. This is the practice. This is our practice. The knowing experience in the present moment. Using the four foundations of mindfulness, of body, feeling tone, or Vedana, mind, and mindfulness of the Dhammas. Again from the Buddha, in relation to to these four foundations of mindfulness and the seven factors of enlightenment. These words, the seven seven factors of enlightenment too, I say have a nutriment. They are not without nutriment. 
and what is a nutriment for the seven factors of enlightenment, it should be said, the four foundations of mindfulness. And developing the mindfulness allows the subsiding and ultimately the disappearance of the hindrances, which allows the arising of the seven factors. Not far off in our practice directly here to be known directly, and they are indeed in the practice here in this hall. So the second factor is factor of investigation of Dhamma, is Dhamma Vachaya. I'll spend a little bit more time on this factor. The factor of investigation of discriminating or untangling. And again, that beautiful way John described it of untangling by recognition. Not a figuring out, but a simply staying with the present moment experience with an attitude of curiosity for a clear seeing of the moment-to-moment experience, for the clear seeing of the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. And this serves to cut through delusion, to allow this untangling. And then insights arise. Insights perhaps into impermanence. That that which has a nature to arise has a nature to pass. That which has a nature to arise has a nature to pass. So even Caltrans seems to be beginning to understand impermanence. Caltrans is a California Department of Transportation. I saw a changeable message sign a couple of weeks on the highway, flashing big letters, alert, alert, change ahead. <laughs> Looking for a sign next week that may say peace is possible in any moment. Uh, wisdom arises from the direct moment-to-moment experience. There's no making it happen. It just arises from the direct moment-to-moment experience. The Dharma reveals itself. And insights arise into the three characteristics of existence, into the four noble truths, five aggregates. So another example of how these factors can arise even off retreat. Uh, this is from my experience at, as a hospice volunteer. I've been a hospice volunteer for a number of years. It's been a particular Dharma gate in my practice. Um, and really builds this very strong equanimity in being in the presence of death and dying. Ultimately so ordinary, as Sylvia noted earlier in the week but also sacred and beautiful. So I was there a couple weeks ago and um, walked by a room, a new resident, and greeted by a very warm, kind, gentle smile, uh, Sam. So I went in and uh, sat for a while and asked Sam, so how is it? being in the house, in the hospice house. 
And they said, once again, everything is new. And it just felt to me like there was a direct experience, a direct knowing of impermanence, just the way it was said, the way it was felt. And a few minutes passed, time, time, sometimes time and hospice center can just pass at a different pace than normal, a little bit like being in the hall, lose sense of time. And Sam looked around the room, pretty ordinary room, a couple nice pieces of artwork, but pretty ordinary. Looked out the window, uh, a light well, but could see the sky, blue sky. And they said, everything is beautiful. Everything is beautiful. And a few minutes passed. And then Sam said, will you serenade me? And um, really touching but I can't sing. <laughs> At least no one would want to hear me sing. <laughs> so I told Sam that. And they said, yes, you can. So we just sat in silence for an hour. That was a serenade, the serenity. So in that experience, Dhammavachaya, investigation of the Dhamma, seeing into impermanence. The joy arising, everything is beautiful. And the tranquility that's sometimes referred to as serenity, serenading. So another experience of investigation from my own retreat practice here, some years ago, using the noting practice, I been a powerful tool over the years to use the noting practice, especially in the dining hall. And uh, I was paying very close attention, chewing, pleasant, sweet, chewing, pleasant, neutral, neutral, unpleasant, crumb on the lip, impulse to lift the hand with a napkin, Towing with restraint, restraining the hand. So impulse, restraint, impulse, restraint. And then suddenly, the tongue darted out of the mouth and grabbed that crumb. (laughs) Who did that? (laughs) That wasn't me. Maybe there's some truth to this not-self stuff. (laughs) It was a small awakening moment and it energized the practice to pay even closer attention that energy factor arising along with the factor of investigation. So we energize the practice to pay even closer attention. So some tools to cultivate Dhammavachaya, to cultivate mindfulness of, um, in the investigation factor. Noting to see using a noting tool, as I did in the dining room, to see patterns of suffering, to explore the moment-to-moment process of mind and body. Observing motivations, catching that impulse that arises before an action, before uh, perhaps an intention. Open to the awareness that the experience and the personality are not self. 
They are without substance, empty. When the mindfulness and investigation factors are strong, then energy naturally arises. And this serves to really propel the practice. Sometimes a practice can feel like it's flowing on its own. So this energy factor is virya. Also translated as strength, courage, perseverance. It strengthens the resolve for the moment-to-moment mindfulness. From, uh, again, from the Buddha, I do not see even a single thing that so causes unarisen wholesome qualities to arise and arisen unwholesome qualities to decline as the arousal of energy. For one who has aroused energy, unarisen wholesome qualities arise and unarisen wholesome qualities decline. So a courageous kind of energy can arise with this factor. The energy can provide the fuel and the courage, courage to go even more deeply into practice, to face difficulties, to face the biggest challenges, and to see more clearly into the nature of suffering, into the nature of dukkha and its cause, craving. So this can, uh, the warning is to be wary of, of efforting, kind of can be a tightening. And this has certainly occurred in my practice in over-efforting. For a while, I had adopted a kind of mantra to use several times a day before sitting that there be a letting go and an acceptance of things as they are. So using that phrase to arise to cause the factor of equanimity to arise at some level, to act as a balancing, a cooling, a calming factor against the high energy level. And some tools to use for building energy to, or the arising of the energy factor is to reflect on the preciousness of our being on practice on practice, in practice, on retreat. To be born into this form as human beings, to be able to have this practice. We're really blessed to have this practice when you look all over the world, a small number of people who are able to undertake this Dharma practice. I've also really used the bowing. This works for some people, not for all, but it's been very powerful at times, both to energize the practice as well as to strengthen faith, to bow to the Buddha or to bow to the Kuan Yin and reflect for a moment on the Buddha setting the wheel of the Dhamma in motion. Buddha, the fully awakened being and the Dhamma has been carried forward for over 2,500 years by those who have realized the truth. And the Sangha, those who have realized the truth and those who have generously contributed to making sure these teachings continued. It's always moving for me to think about the monks 
in the first several hundred years after the Buddha died, carried forward the teachings through memorization, passed on from one generation to the next, so that we could have those texts today. Quite amazing, quite inspirational. I've reflected times, too, that this moment is directly connected to the moment of the Buddha's awakening. Inseparable with his turning the wheel of the Dhamma in motion. So an energized, alert mind leads to joy, sometimes called rapture, and in Pali, piti. Sometimes also referred to happiness or joy. Joseph Goldstein says it's the anticipation of that which arises when we're crossing a hot desert and suddenly see a cool and refreshing oasis. So this arises from the development, from the cultivation of the three earlier factors of mindfulness, investigation of dhammas, and energy. Simply being on this land, heard from a number of you in interviews, being on this land, being in nature can arise joy, great pleasure. To really take that in, to know that joy when it arises, to know the happiness when it arises. And rapture can arise, five kinds of rapture, which I'll describe briefly. Minor rapture, which is a, can be a sense of the spine lifting up or trembling of the body. Momentary rapture, jolts of energy, flashes of light, sometimes flashes sustained for a period. A wave-like or showering rapture can feel like the whole body is filled with rapture or encased in a, fear, in a sphere of light. Uplifting rapture might be a sense of the body leaving the floor. And pervading or sublime rapture, a sublime happiness. So these build strength and really build that sense of effortlessness in practice, but it's very easy to get caught in rapture. And this certainly happened in my practice. Right, Sylvia? <laughs> Got caught in rapture. It's pretty enticing. But the important thing is to keep paying attention to where there's attachment, where there's identification of me or mine to the moment-to-moment experiences in the rapture. Perhaps to use the tools to calm, bring some level of the calming factors in, or investigating, investigating further the joy and rapture that's being known moment to moment. So again, from Joseph Goldstein, he recommends to strengthen rapture and joy to reflect on the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, complete, uh, contemplate acts of generosity, acts of sila, morality, as Heather said the other day, contemplate, call upon the spiritual forces on the land, in the hall, the devas. Reflect on the experiences when the hindrances are not present, when they've subsided in practice. 
and perhaps reflect on the possibility of realizing nibbana, the very end of suffering. So deep with deepening joy, with rapture, especially with a sublime rapture, this leads to calm and tranquility. And the calming factors is the first of the three calming factors, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So tranquility is pasadi in Pali. Sometimes tranquility is called calm, serenity. And so coolness that arises can fill the whole body, whole body and mind with tranquility. It can feel like a great relief. So again, the Buddha's call is to know when tranquility is present. To know when it's present, know when it's not present. With kind of tranquility and with the cultivation of the factor of investigation, from this place of great calm, it's an opportunity to look even further into the nature of suffering, to see the Four Noble Truths even more clearly, to realize the Four Noble Truths directly. Uh, be aware when calm flattens. This can be a trap. Calm can flatten and there can be a need. Tranquility can have a very low, flat energy and there can be a need to arouse some energy to support that. But ultimately, don't get caught in all these ideas and figuring it out. It's trusting the heart's wisdom. Trusting the heart's wisdom. So the things that are being said that I'm saying about the seven factors... Let it in, but trust the heart's wisdom on how to work with the seven factors, on how to balance energy and calm, and how to call upon the different factors. So in reflecting on tranquility, I've been inspired in the last year to learn more about, about an early civil rights leader, John Lewis, a real American hero, and at the age of 20, he was already leading sit-ins in Nashville. And he adopted a, a firm approach of nonviolence, of pacifism, like Martin Luther King. He did a sit-in in Nashville where he was and others were physically attacked. And the police arrested those participating in the sit-in, but not the attackers. And those participating in the sit-ins maintained an attitude and acts of nonviolence, acted with nonviolence. John Lewis said, violence begets violence, but the opposite is just as true. Hitting someone who does not hit back can last only so long. Fury spends itself pretty quickly when there's no fury facing it. It's a lesson on not standing in contention with what is arising in awareness. Letting go of contention. No contention, no problem. A tranquil mind turns toward concentration. Samadhi. Donald spoke about this earlier in the week, so I'll just say a few words about it, that it can be a that it is a collectedness of mind, a great tool to use when the calming factor is needed to 
just using the noting tool for a while sharpens concentration and helps to balance with mindfulness. So concentration can be one-pointed, but doesn't necessarily need to be one-pointed. And uh, the concentration that arises, my experience, that uh, arises from tranquility arises very easily and naturally. It's, it's a really, the deepest level of concentration seems to arise from this place of great calm and tranquility. And strengthening concentration strengthens mindfulness, strengthens the in investigation factor. You can see a cyclical pattern happening here that is, and Heather referred to this as well uh, recently, that as mindfulness is developed and concentration is developed, more concentration brings more mindfulness, brings more of the investigation factor. So there's both a a progress along these seven factors of awakening, as well as a cyclical pattern going on. So equanimity, upeka. Again, another topic covered by uh, Donald and covered by Winnie today in the Brahma Vihara instruction. So we'll be working on the Brahma Vihara of equanimity, equanimity over the next few days. I like to think of it think of it as a calm, peaceful acceptance of the heart. It's a beautiful heart quality. And um Bhikkhu's Bodhi's term for equanimity is there in the middleness. There in the middleness. A heart that's right in the middleness of it all. At the deepest level, equanimity can feel like a granite mountain. can feel like a granite mountain, absolutely unshakable. And from this deep equanimity, the deepest wisdom and purification may arise. As well from this deep equanimity, from the heart quality, the other Brahma Viharas arise spontaneously. Can arise spontaneously. Love and kindness for all beings without exception. Compassion arising naturally in response to pain. And joy in response to the happiness of others. So these just arising naturally in response to situations from the depths of equanimity. So in summary, there's a, a cycle for these seven factors, the seven treasures. Trust the heart wisdom. Trust the heart's wisdom. Know when to balance, when to cultivate, when to incline the attention No one energy needs to be balanced with calm or the investigation factor might need to be balanced or cultivated. No one appreciate these treasures when they're present. And again, this, the, the, the overall pattern of our practice 
the development of the four foundations of mindfulness, the subsiding of the hindrances. Strong mindfulness leads to investigation, into moment-to-moment experience, into the investigation into the moment-to-moment experience, and the nature of the way things are. And this generates energy, resolve, for moment-to-moment mindfulness, leading to rapture, joy, and leads to tranquility, turning to a strengthening and unification of concentration, providing a strong foundation for equanimity. And these seven factors of awakening lead to release, lead to release, to the end of discretionary suffering, to the unconditioned, to a happiness that is not dependent on any conditions. Freedom. From Chogyam Grumpa, there is no need to struggle to be free. The absence of struggle is in itself freedom. Let's sit for a moment. There is no need to struggle to be free. The absence of struggle is in itself freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.